There's a false doctrine out there that's really pushing that only the Jews are the holy people. That's not what that says. It says first to the Jews. They were. But because of the work of the cross, because of the blood of Jesus, everything changed. It doesn't say in John 3.16, for God so loved the Jew. What's it say? The world. Then to the Gentile. That's me. How about you? See, Paul knew as we now do that the Gospels went for everyone. For the Jew, for the Gentile, for the male, for the female, for the slave and for the free, for the young, for the old. There's no partiality. There's no exclusivity in the grace of the Gospel. And thank goodness because there is no partiality in sin either. Sin doesn't care if you're Jew or if you're Gentile, if you're male or if you're female, if you're a boy or a girl. No, sin receives everyone. It doesn't differentiate just because you're a Baptist or if you're a Pentecostal. Sin affects everybody. But I got good news. So does God's grace and His gospel. To understand grace, you and I need to understand sin and the problem that comes because of sin. The greatest problem of sin is that it disconnects us from God. And within just ourselves, we can do nothing to reunite ourselves to God in and of our own self, our own power, our own mind. We cannot save ourselves from the fallen state of sin. So let's begin our reading in, uh, in this big text here of Romans chapter 1. We'll start at verse 17, finish up at verse 25. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, you are saved by grace, right? As the Scripture says, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. Now here's the transition, verse 18. It's a three-little word, but. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God. They know the truth about God because He has made it, what's it say? Wow. Obvious to them. For, every, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. You don't need a Bible to know God. Did you know that? You don't need the flannel board for Sunday school. You just need to walk outside, stroll out in the middle of the night, look at the stars. Look at the sky. Look at all of creation. And if you want to tell me there is no great designer, that there is no God, then you're foolish on purpose. If I was to show you a big, incredible portrait 
It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a landscape. It could be a, a, a person's face. It wouldn't matter. You know what a message is being set by that portrait? By that landscape, whatever it might be? That there's an artist who made that. And you know, when you look around, you see all this wonder. There's a great creator. His name's God. It's Jehovah. It's obvious. Verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result... They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Wow. What an incredible passage. The Apostle Paul just got done encouraging people and talking about the good news in verse 17, the very first verse we read. But then Paul shifts to talk about a subject we don't often like to talk about or hear about. I've actually heard of churches where they tell the pastor, Pastor, please don't be talking about sin. Well, Paul did. And he had the approval of the Lord. Sin is something we're all affected by. Back in the very first book of the Bible, God created a man, we call him Adam, and he created a woman, we call her Eve. God gave them free reign over everything he created in the garden. With only one restriction. With only one rule. With only one commandment don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's it you can have anything you want from all the other trees from all the other plants go ahead just not that one that's it that's it you mean you're not telling us not to steal you're not telling us to do, not to make carved images. How come you're not giving us all, like, all that or the 613 Levitical laws? How come the only thing you're telling us is just don't eat from the tree? Because everything else was perfect and fine. And that one thing is the only thing. That discipline, that obedience, that relationship would stay true if I stayed away from the tree. 
But if I violated that, I would be acting in an act of rebellion. And I would violate that relationship between me and God and my obedience to Him and me surrendering to His power. At that point, everything changes. Everything changes. But even though this rule is in place, Adam and Eve broke the one rule. Now we can all go, let's be honest, you and I, if it was our turn, we would have done the same thing. Because the first man and woman both sinned against God by disobeying His one and only command. Sin entered the world. And because of that, each and every man, woman, and child are now impacted by the consequences of this original sin. This is the reality that we're living in. And that is why Paul writes, All have sinned. No one is exempt. Let me share with you a little something. It's a small apple. But have you ever opened up an apple only to find a worm on the inside? I mean, I like protein, but not like that. Have you ever asked yourself, how does the worm get in there? I mean, when I cut it open, I, I, and I looked, and I, I couldn't even find the hole. Like, how did he, I know he had a bore in it. How many of you think that the worm made a hole and bored itself in? Well, the truth is, that's not how it happens. Many of you probably know how it happens. There's an insect, and it goes to the apple blossom, and it lays an egg on the blossom before it is an apple. It's there now that the apple is formed and created. And now when that little egg hatches, it hatches at the heart, at the center of the apple. And so all of a sudden, it has to now eat. And so it begins to eat and get bigger and eat and get bigger. And it keeps working its way until it can go all the way out of the apple. You know... That's what sin's like. Sin is like the egg that becomes a worm. Sin was planted in the heart of humanity from the original sin of Adam and Eve. And then sin begins to work its way through a person's thoughts, through their words, and through their actions. But here's the good news. Even amidst our sin, God has still revealed Himself. Paul talks about this in in what we just read in verses 19 and 20 of that passage that we just read. No one has any excuse for not knowing God because of the ways He has revealed Himself his invisible qualities, invisible ways to us. It amazes me that toward the end of Jesus' life here on earth, 
He was brutalized. And eventually he was put on a cross to die for Marvin Telemontes. To die for you. Do you make that event personal? I think it's too easy to just make it generalized that he just died for humankind. Do you know if I was the only one on planet, if you were the only one on the planet, forget your family, forget your spouse for this moment, just you. His love is so great, he would have gone to the cross just for you. Satan doesn't want you to make that personal. For Jesus, it was personal. He thought of you. He saw your face. It says, as we read earlier from verses 24 and 25, uh, I'm going to read it again. You want to follow on your notes, that's fine. But So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worship and serve the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. This says that God gave people over to the desires of their hearts, that they traded the truth of God for a lie. That they switched out the invisible power of God, the divine creator, for mindless, for powerless matter, for images that they carved out into idols of people and reptiles and birds. That we thought that that was much smarter than to believe in who God is, the truth. This is the trade-off that some people still struggle with today. Oh, we don't look at the alligator or the snakes and all those things. No, no, we, we use something different. We make this an idol. We, we make those an idol. We make shopping an idol. We make alcohol, drugs, an idol. We make things that we know we're not supposed to do. James 4.17 says, To the one who knows what he should do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Are there things in your life and my life that we go, wait a minute. I know God said not to do it, but I'm just going to. Just one more time. It's an idol. It's an idol. No, I was just—I was just going to pray with Sister So and So because you know we just need to pray about this. So I had to just let her know all the details of all the details, so we could properly pray. You're gossiping. That's a sin. 
don't give the enemy a place because he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's go to John 10, 10. And what's it say? The thief's purpose. This is how Satan, this is how he, he purposes his life to be. This is what he does on purpose to steal and kill and destroy. Now let's look at what Jesus is all about. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You want truth or you want a lie? So interesting, the Bible actually instructs us not to allow the devil to, to, to actually have a foothold in our lives. Let's go to Ephesians 4, verse 27. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, the original word translated here for foothold also means place, it means ground, or it actually can mean an opportunity. And it is frequently used to describe an actual place in the New Testament, an actual location, an actual place where people arrive at or a place where something significant happens, a foothold. Remember, we just talked about the Genesis account. We talked about earlier, Adam and Eve. The devil had taken up space in the garden. Then he used the space to whisper. To whisper a lie into their ears about who God really was. God knows that if you eat of the tree, you'll become just like him. Okay, this sounds good. Let's do it. You catch that? God had never lied to them. Every day they walked with him in the cool of the day. God had never lied. Satan comes in and lies. So not only did he consume the lie, but then Adam ate and committed the sin. This is one of the main problems of sin. What, if not the greatest problem of sin. Our sin alienates us from God. And it gives the devil the opportunity to bring that division. To bring that destruction. To bring death. To our God-given destiny. God had desired and destined that Adam and Eve would live in the Garden of Eve, Eden forever. That they would have fellowship with Him forever. And that their offspring would have fellowship forever. This was paradise. But like Adam and Eve, we too, when we worship idols, when we harbor unforgiveness, when we lie, when we cheat and steal to get what we want, when we willingly give ourselves over to sin, it's as if we open the door to our hearts, to, to our lives, and shout, Hey, devil! Come on in! And take over. An invitation like that will always end poorly, folks. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. It says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Folks, I've shared this before. His name's Louis Pasteur, and he's the guy who figured out that there's an invisible world that impacts our physical world. He's the first guy, first doctor that said, hey, 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 let's go wash our hands and our arms and let's clean all of our instruments and then let's go do surgery. You see, in the past, it would be times of war and all they would do is wipe off the blood and go to the next one and they're just full of all the contaminants from this patient and then they would come over here and use the exact same hands with fully covered in blood from somebody else and their instruments are covered in blood from somebody else and they would just go go and go and go to all everybody else and he said you know i know i can't see it i know i can't touch it but i got a suspicion that this isn't right because mama said cleanliness is next to godliness and he's holy so let's clean so they got a bar of soap and they cleaned up, and they cleaned all the instruments. And all of a sudden, people were no longer dying of infection. And they were recovering. But you know what? There's a whole group of other people who had PhD after their name. And they said, you fool, you're an idiot. Your patient's over there waiting for you. Just take a towel and wipe off and get busy. And all their patients were dying, one after the other. In the end, Louis Pasteur is treated as a hero for believing that the invisible world impacts the invisible, the visible world. I'm here to let you know there is a real devil. I'm sorry if you can't see him. I'm sorry if you can't touch him. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean he's not there. Have you ever seen somebody full of rage and hatred and anger? I've looked in somebody's eyes and I've seen the devil. I've seen hatred like you can't imagine. Don't tell me there's not an invisible world that is impacting. We call it spiritual warfare. And when you're facing sin, it's spiritual warfare, and you cannot defeat it on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you to say no. So that you can go on to the next step, getting closer to Jesus. And the next step, getting closer to Jesus. We've got to stand our ground. We've got to put on the armor of God. While pressing into the Lord and His mighty power. We can't give the devil a foothold. We can't give him a place. We can't give him an opportunity. He doesn't have a right to your heart. You know, thankfully, God knew that we couldn't win this fight on our own. That we couldn't muster up a big enough army or build a big enough weapon to be able to defeat sin and death. God knew we needed a Savior, a Savior to fight on our behalf. 
God knew that we needed Jesus to come and conquer sin and death for us. If one of the main problems of sin is that it alienates us and separates us from God, then it stands to reason, right, that one of the solutions to our problem is to be reconciled back to God. To be redeemed and put back in a right relationship with God. But we couldn't. Adam couldn't. Eve couldn't. Cain and Abel couldn't. All the generals of the faith could not. And neither can you and neither can I. We were disqualified because in each and every one of us, at the heart and at the center of us, is sin. We're disqualified. Except for Jesus. Sinless. Sinless. He paid the ultimate price. We needed to be rescued. And we'll talk more about that next week. But right now, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Why don't you all say this one with me? Ready? Begin. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I just really like the way the NLT describes that. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. My sin wouldn't measure up to the standard of God's holiness. But not Jesus. There isn't a person alive today. There isn't a person from history. And there isn't a person in the future that would ever qualify except Jesus, to be that sacrifice, to pay the penalty for my sin, for your sin. Now, I know none of us really meant to sin, to let sin get inside of our heart, but when we open the door, (laughs) well, we open the door. So let's look how Genesis describes this in in chapter 4, verse 7. You will be accepted if you... Now, here, let me give you a little background. Cain and Abel come and they bring their offering. One brings, you know, the the moldy old vegetables and the other one brought in uh, a sacrifice of an animal. And God's now speaking to Cain and to the one who brought the wrong sacrifice, I mean, the the wrong offering before God. He knew what to do and he didn't do it. Have you ever been in that situation? You knew what to do, and you modified. How many know when you modify and you don't have permission to modify, you're still sinning? So here's where God's speaking. God is speaking to Cain. He says, you'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. Did you know what that that is all that sin is all about? Why are you being tempted? Why am I being tempted? When I look at communism, when I look at socialism, when I look at all those, you want to know what that's all about? One little group controlling everybody else. 
You know what sin is all about? How do I control you? Wow. That's all it is. Somebody who's an addicted to a drug, to an alcohol, to whatever it might be. What is that? Something's controlling them. Sin is always crouching at the door. It's always waiting for us. Ready to pounce. Because it wants to control me. It wants to control you. It wants to rule over you. And he'll start off like a little egg at the center, at the core of you. There will always be another temptation. Another opportunity for evil to control you. But we must stand firm on the truth of the gospel and upon the precious blood and the power of the blood of Jesus. We cannot give a foothold or an opportunity for the devil to get control of our minds, of our heart, of our lives. So I'm closing up here. Here's my question for you today. It's a simple one. Where can you eradicate sin in your life? Have some other questions. What do you need to confess? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to turn away from? What do you need to pull the plug on? What do you need to say goodbye to? What idols do you need to pull down? What's holding you back from taking your next step closer to Jesus? Will you pray with me? Father, it's sometimes difficult for old saints who are faithful to spend time with you, to sometimes not see what you see that's not right in our hearts. But Lord, you see everything, all the little things. And so, Father God, I pray that you begin to nudge us. You begin to poke at us and say, child of God, you know this thing that you've just given permission to? It's been there for a long time. It's time. It's still separating you from being close to me. I feel alienated from you, child of God. Because we're ignoring it. Worse than that, we're apathetic about it. We've actually given permission. And God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I said it was wrong way back when. And it's still wrong now. It's still wrong now. So in this quietness, I'm going to ask you to take a moment 
with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, would you ask God to remove the callous on that part of your heart? That you would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He would show you that thing that you need to eradicate from your heart by saying, Jesus, I confess this to you. This is sin. This is a character issue. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Now you confess. As you get real with God and Real with the person in the mirror. He is faithful and true to forgive you and to start brand new. To draw close to you in a way maybe you've never experienced. Closer, closer yet. Oh, Father, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Father, bless your people for their faithfulness and their willingness to not always look outward, but Lord, to start looking first inward. What's not right in my heart? Where am I plagued? Something that's keeping me away from hearing the voice of God. Oh God, I confess. Oh God, forgive me. Hear their prayer. Bless them this week. Fill them with joy. Fill them with comfort. Fill them with hope. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. And this weapon, the Word says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Not even sin. Your will, your way, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.